2: From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's estimated some 80% of Southern California donut shops are Cambodian-owned, and many of those owners, immigrants who toiled over hot fryers at shops open 24-7, hoped for white-collar jobs for their children. But now, a generation of so-called donut kids are opting to continue the family business and transform it with their social media and tech savvy and flair for coming up with new flavors. We meet some of these donut kids and find out what it's been like to take over and modernize a family business that initially they tried to move away from. Join us. Welcome to Forum, I'm Mina Kim. Dorothy Chow basically grew up at the San Francisco donut shop owned by her Cambodian immigrant parents, one of many her father opened. In his heyday, he opened dozens along Highway 99 before starting a baking distribution company to supply those shops with the flour, fillings and other ingredients they needed. Dorothy Chow is now vice president of sales at that company, B N H Bakery Distributors, and joins us now. Dorothy, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much for having me. Your dad sounds like quite the entrepreneur. He really helped lay the foundation.
1: Yes, he did. Uh, Many people know of the Donut King, who is famously known for building donut shops in Southern California. But my father was the one that really took it up to Northern California, built all the donut shops from all the way from Bakersfield up to South Lake Tahoe. So uh, he really did lay quite quite, quite a big foundation, for sure. <laughs> yeah, like
2: 60 to 70 or so, I think you said. Yes, yes. So what was it like for you to grow up as a donut kid, as it's been called, especially by a series that came out a couple years ago um, called Pink Box Stories? Like, how much time did you spend at the donut shop? What would you do there, the one in San Francisco?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, it. it really almost became... Part of my livelihood. Uh, we, I actually went to school right down the street from the donut shop that my parents worked at, or my mom owned. And uh, every day, I would just after school walk right up the street and spend the rest of my "quote unquote" babysitting time within the back of the donut shop. So that would mean you know, um, helping serve customers at nine years old, uh, kind of picking <laughs> at some of the burgers and the fries that were just coming off of the grill in the back.
2: Oh, you're we, right. You also did burgers and fries at the donut shop, Yes, right?
1: yes, yes. We did anything we could, really. I mean, a lot of these donut shops do the best they can to make a living. And, you know, I uh, I was jumping from table to table, uh, messing with the customers that were coming in and out. So um, it, it very much felt like, home to me in the back of a donut
2: shop was there any part of it that you ever resented spending that much time there having to be you
1: know yeah you know as you get older the donut shop even was a part of my life in high school and even college so in high school I spent all of my summers and all of my weekends dedicated back at the donut shop and Mm. sometimes you look at the rest of your peers you get to go on these fun vacations in the summer and and weekends that they have so many different plans. And I, I remember riding my bike from the house to the donut shop to open and close. And uh, even in college, I went back home and I was training the donut different, the different new employees. And so it really did, it really did build a little bit of resentment. I think everybody, all of us donut kids, I mean, I don't want to speak for all of us, but most of us do have that commonality of, having to sacrifice for the family.
2: Having to sacrifice for the family, though, ultimately you decided after your uh, dad started the distribution company to supply donut shops with ingredients, what made you decide to join the family business?
1: You know, um, it, it was something that I always grew up with, knowing that entrepreneurship was within my family blood Um, and I always had that kind of leadership skill within me I feel like I love talking to people I love um, I've always done that sort of thing and and I was in leadership in middle school and high school and college Um, but when it came time to it I, I am the youngest out of four and if I didn't step up and do it I felt sad knowing that if it wasn't me that nobody else would. And, you know, Mm. my dad sacrificed so much. He sacrificed his entire life for this company. And there's something really special about a company that serves its own community in that way. We are the last standing privately owned distributor for bakery products for Cambodians who do within the bakery industry. So, um, there's something really special about that. And I just really didn't want to
2: see that go. We're talking with Dorothy Chow, vice president of B&H Bakery Distributors in Oakland, California. She grew up in one of her parents' donut shops. And and listeners, if you're the child of immigrants who has carried on a family legacy or business and want to share your story, you can email them to forum at kqed.org. Uh, post them on Twitter or Facebook or give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866 I want to bring Kathy Chaplin into the conversation now. Kathy Chaplin is senior reporter and editor at Eater LA, who also wrote a piece titled The Future of LA's Cambodian-Owned Donut Shops is in the Hands of the Next Generation. Kathy Chaplin, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So I just want to back up a little bit. You wrote that 80%, some 80% of all donut chops in Southern California are owned by Cambodian Americans. First, can you tell us, we got a, a little bit uh, of Dorothy alluding to this, but how donut chops became the business so many Cambodian Americans pursued?
3: I'm um, Sure. I mean, so um, I am Vietnamese American, so I I feel close to the Cambodian-American experience, but, of course, not so close that um, I guess the trauma really affects my storytelling in a way that it could, um, as a Cambodian-American. But my understanding, and of course, Dorothy, please uh, chime in, is that um, uh, after the genocide in um, Cambodia, there was an influx of refugees coming from Cambodia. And um, Ted, the Donut King, Ted Noy, um, he had come over earlier. um, And his uh, story is in the documentary, The Donut King. And um, he had learned the donut trade from working at Winchell's. Um, So when he, uh, well, when this community, this tremendous community of uh, refugees came over, he helped them set up businesses. I think he leased businesses and taught them how to make donuts. um, And due to just the low um, startup costs, as well as Mm -hmm. um, not needing um, a whole lot of English in order to do the business well, um, this was able to give uh, refugees a stronghold in the American economy. This is in the um, mid-70s and 80s. And actually, even today.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And can you talk about their role in also making those pink pastry? boxes synonymous with donuts.
3: Yes, um, from my understanding, and this is, you know, this is lore that has been backed up, but it used to be that when you bought donuts, you would probably get like a branded white box. But um, given um, just the the slim margins in terms of profitability of these stores, just saving a penny here and there really added up. Um, so the, um, the first wave of Cambodian um, business owners you know, learned of pink boxes that were less expensive than white ones and made the swap. And since then, um, you know, it's really become just this iconic symbol of um, Cambodian-owned donut shops.
2: And Dorothy, I think you said that COVID has actually affected the, the pink pastry box. How has it done that?
3: Yeah,
1: you know, supply chain, as I'm sure you guys already noticed in the grocery stores today, uh, supply chain of the after effect of COVID really has been um, detrimental to these sorts of things. Uh, paper goods has been on a huge shortage the past year uh, due to COVID and every the post-COVID. And so a lot of these people are now having to switch over to white boxes because pink boxes are now being are hard to find. And uh, so currently, currently, to today, it might be a little bit harder to find those pink boxes until everything settles down.
2: So when you think of um, pink boxes becoming synonymous uh, with donuts, when you think about the label donut kid, like, did you ever hear that growing up? Like, did you ever think that it would form an identity that essentially is starting to be celebrated?
1: Absolutely not. It wasn't until <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until the past, I would say, year even that I started hearing of the term, quote unquote, donut kid and that I was considered one of them. You know, when you're growing up, you you take pride in that, you know, all the middle school kids like to talk to you because you can give them a free dozen donut on the weekends <laughs> when they come in. But besides that, no one ever actually called me. a a donut kid and categorized in that kind of uplifting way. So it's been very cool to take on that, that terminology. It's been very cool because I feel like it's the first time that maybe the sacrifices that we had to make as a kid are now being noticed.
2: Yeah. And and Kathy, what has been your experience in, in really that question of, of how people feel about, donut kids as an identity does it feel like something affirming to the people you spoke with oh a hundred percent um Gosh, I mean, the experiences
3: um, largely mirrored each other, like what Dorothy described earlier, um, but emerging as adults and having firmer understandings um, of their family's sacrifice and um, what it meant in terms of their futures, I think it is a badge of honor. Um, being a donut kid, and especially for those continuing the legacy, it feels um.
2: It feels quintessential to um, who they are and who they've become. Yeah. Interestingly, this listener writes, As an Asian American, my parents were determined that we ended up in office jobs. My uncle and aunt owned a diner and scraped to send their kids to college and forbid their kids from joining the business. When the last kid finished graduate school, they sold the shop and the kids paid for their retirement. We'll get into some of those those tensions after the break. But again, we're talking with Kathy Chaplin, senior reporter and editor at Eater LA. Chaplin wrote the article, The Future of LA's Cambodian-Owned Donut Chops is in the Hands of the Next Generation. And also Dorothy Chow is with us, vice president of and H bakery distributors in Oakland, California. She grew up in one of her parents' donut shops, currently owns a shop herself, um, and is also the creator of the Death in Cambodia podcast, which chronicles her father's journey to America. um, And Earlier, Kathy had talked a little bit about what brought refugees to U.S. shores. Listeners, you're invited to join the t- conversation. Are you the child of immigrants? Do you feel an obligation to carry on a family legacy or a business? Or are your parents discouraging you from joining the family business? Um, if you want, you can also share your favorite donut shop. Email them to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at kqedforum. Call us, 866-733-6786, 866 866-733- 733 Six seven eight six. We'll have more after the break. This is forum. I'm Mina Kim.
4: This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Coming up later this week, California has positioned itself as an abortion sanctuary, but some 40% of counties in the state don't have abortion providers. We look at the realities of abortion access in California, and if you had challenges trying to obtain an abortion in the Golden State and want to share your story, you can leave a voicemail by calling 415-553-3300. Again, that's 415-553-3300. Today, we're talking with Donut Kids, the second generation of Cambodians who are taking over the donut shops that their parents opened. We're talking with Dorothy Chow, Vice President of b h Bakery Distributors in Oakland, Kathy Chaplin, Senior Reporter and Editor at Eater LA. And joining me now is Donette Kutch, Co-Owner and Operator of California Donuts, which is located in LA's Koreatown. Donette Kutch, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank you. So your parents... Open California Donuts. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what their entry point was into the business?
5: Um, I think it's definitely through family. Um, we've had a few uncles who opened prior to us. Um, and when there was an opportunity, uh, they were actually on vacation in Oregon. And they drove right back around and, and came and looked at this location and pretty much did everything they could to to. Ha- Find a way to finance it. So um, definitely on a whim um, and connections through through family.
2: And would what was it like for you? Like, did you want to or see yourself as taking over California donuts when you were growing up?
5: Not growing up, I think our parents definitely wanted us to have more opportunities, something different, not work as hard as they did. Um, so, you know, they sacrificed to put us through school, uh, got us through college and wanted us to have that office job or have the career or be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, but I found myself studying in business and, and then, and just ended up being there.
2: Yeah. Because you did want to pursue that too, right? You thought, okay, yeah, I'll get that white collar job, that business job. What did you realize as you were studying business though? Um,
5: we we went, I think we were just going through the motion because that was what we thought, you know, was what we were supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and when you say we,
2: you mean you and your sister.
5: My sister and I, yeah, yeah. We, you know, our parents are always telling us, like, you know, you need to get a career out there and like find an opportunity that we didn't have. And so we would go to school looking and and studying, but we both ended up falling into um, business and economics, um, in college.
2: Yeah. And I love this line, um, that I think Kathy actually quoted you as saying that you realize that you can continue to work for somebody else and allow them to drive nice, fancy cars, or you could do it for your parents.
5: (laughs) Yeah. That was at my senior year in college. I had an internship and I had a little girl at that time at home and, you know, I was at work, 13 hours a day, you know, and they would have after hours and, uh, go to the bars, go to the clubs for bonding and stuff. But I, you know, all I could think about was I need to get home to my kids. And, um, that's when I realized I said, you know, well, I could do this and sacrifice my time for somebody else, or I could do it for my own family. And that's when I realized, and I came home and I just told them, I said, I know that you want me to have a different opportunity, a different career, and not work as hard as you. But I just see a greater purpose in coming back home and doing it for, for them.
2: And Dorothy, how, how did your parents react to you wanting to get into the donut shop supply business?
1: Um, my mom was less supportive. <laughs> um, Why? <laughs> she, she had this idea. She had the same idea that I think Jeanette kind of mentioned that you know she wanted me to be something grander and, and fancier and bigger and you know they both had come they had dedicated their entire lives to backbreaking work. I mean donut shop work is not easy. You're talking about baking at 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. every single day and then serving the entire day. So um that she she just didn't want me to be any part of the industry at all, but my dad I think secretly he was excited because as I said this is the legacy that he's built and um you know if if nobody took it over it really would have just faded away.
2: Yeah, and, and Kathy Chaplin You, I think, call this the inflection point when so-called donut kids grapple with whether or not they should move away from the business or continue it. Can you talk a little bit about some of the tensions that you found in your reporting?
3: Sure. It just does seem to come to a head at this this point, these past few three to five years where just the aging owners, they're reaching, you know, between the ages of 65 and 75 and their bodies this is such a physical a work is, um, what I've, uh, gathered from interviewing all these donut kids that it really is, um, you know, time to close up shop or to sell. And, um, Many of the tensions, I mean, we've discussed here, especially with parental reactions, is wanting better for your children. But I think Danette said it best in the piece when it's like not really understanding that, you know, the definition of better for this generation, the donut kids, does mean um, having a sense of purpose and carrying on the legacy for their families. So it's this... um, it's this tension of redefining the American dream for this new generation. Whereas um, with parents toiling in the shop, um, you know they dreamt of something quote unquote better for their families, but for their children, especially, but those um, kids growing up and understanding that in fact, um, what they want or what their parents always wanted them to strive for was in fact, um, where they were already.
2: Yeah. Danette, there was also a moment where uh, I think a person that you went to school with said something along the lines of, why did you go to college if you're going to, if you're just going to work at a donut shop? Did you yourself um, feel some stigma or tension to, to sort of make your own way and didn't see making your own way as synonymous with taking over your family's business?
5: I think growing up, I've never really listened to the noise around me. I've always (laughs) done my own thing. Um, You can ask my parents that, (laughs) Um, you know, I've always been kind of a rebel in that sense. So, you know, when, when someone says something, it actually lit a fire under me and just that, and it just made me. Work harder to prove it that, you know, if I wanted a business card with my name on it that says CEO or president or something, I will create it myself, Um, you know, 401k and all those things. I, I just knew in my heart, like if I wanted it and I wanted it for our family that we would we could create it.
2: I'm talking with Danette Kutch, co-owner and operator of California Donuts based in L.A.'s Koreatown, and Dorothy Chow, vice president of b Bakery Distributors in Oakland. Kathy Chaplin is with us, senior reporter and editor at Eater L.A. You can check out the article, The Future of L.A.'s Cambodian-owned Donut Chops is in the hands of the next generation. You, our audience, can join the conversation by posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, emailing them to forum at KQED.org, giving us a call at 866 733 6786. We've got listeners wanting to shout out their favorite donut shops. Clara writes, I was a lifeguard and swimming teacher at the Claremont Hotel when I was in high school and during college summers. I enjoyed Dream Fluff donuts occasionally on my way to open the pool, sometimes on my bike at 6 a.m. Believe it or not, beer and Dream Fluff donuts are an unlikely but wonderful combination when pulling all-nighters. Today at age 64, steel-cut oatmeal is my breakfast staple, but I can still taste Dream Fluff. Chocolate old-fashioned, a maple bar, and an apple, f- and an apple fritter. I'm very happy to hear the Dream Fluff Donuts is still in business. Maybe I'll stop by. So we were just talking uh, about how making your own way for this generation, creating your own path, has been able to weave well with a family legacy business. So I want to talk about this a little bit, Danette. I understand that you. Uh, created the Snicker donut. Can you describe what that is and then talk about your inspiration for it? Um, Yeah, it's just, it's a donut. We stuffed
5: it uh, with a Snickers bar. So it's a whole bar inside of a donut. Um, And then we we glaze it on top. And um, that's like our donut that kind of went viral. And um, we had lines out the door and down the block, and we didn't know why at that moment And we were too busy to figure out what was going on. Um, you know, we just kept with demand, but basically it was, you know, I was, um, before that I was a stay at home mom and I was forced to stay home. And I knew that I needed to do something. My brain needed to work. And so I went to the extreme couponing and that extreme how set- couponing, would, yeah. With a bunch of cereal and a bunch of Snicker bars at the house that I didn't want my kids to eat at that time, um, so I brought it to the donut shop and I said, "What can we do with this?" And then the Snicker donut was born.
2: <laughs> wow! And that is really one of the ways that your generation is really changing, modernizing, taking your donut shops to new heights. So, so, were your parents on board
4: with Not these kinds at of changes? All. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's, there's a rebel in me
5: right there. You know, they, they were not on board. They said, why fix anything that isn't broken? Um, you know, Koreatown knew us and, and I just felt like the world didn't know us. And I felt like I wanted to, to kind of step it up a little bit. And um, with that and social media, you know, I used my creativity to in the donut shop to kind of um, see what I could do with it. You know, so with social media I was able to just not only reach Koreatown, not only reach Los Angeles, but also the whole world.
2: So then Dorothy, is this also your experience of first generation that they really like to stick to the traditional flavors? <laughs> as as a distribution company, I'm sure you must see it.
1: Oh, absolutely! There is a clear difference between the customers who are second generation versus the kind of older traditional. I mean, even when it comes down to the ingredients and um, to change anything, anything at all, <laughs> it's, it's like pulling teeth when it comes to some of these older traditional uh, donut shop owners. I think they they're maybe they think maybe they're a little afraid that changing something would. Um, you know, mess with the sales or or deter people from coming in. They just don't want to touch anything. But then I've got the second generation owners who are asking me every single week, like, what are the new flavors? What are your new items? And they're, I can't keep up with their demand. (laughs) They're constantly asking.
2: (laughs) What was your family's reaction, um, Danette, when they saw the success of departing from the traditional flavors?
5: Um, I, you know, they, they resisted, they resisted in the beginning, but when they saw the lines coming, I, I don't think they could resist any longer. Um, they kind of allowed me to be a little creative, of course, a little bit with restriction, um, you know, but yeah, we, we. Got a little more freedom in introducing new flavors and, um, but still had mom and dad there to kind of keep us in check and making sure that we knew what we were doing, running uh, the business correctly.
2: What, where, what are some examples of other flavors that you were able to in, introduce in their boundaries? Um, well,
5: my sister, my sister was a graphic artist and she joined the business and took her panda design and brought it into the store. So we have a panda donut. Um, we have blueberry toast crunch, uh, what else lately we've got, you know, brought some Asian flavor in and, and have a black sesame,
2: um, <sighs> Boba milk tea, <laughs> just trying to get creative. Wow. You are definitely making me wish I had a donut for breakfast this morning. <laughs> um, and uh, well, we've got listeners wanting to call out their favorite donut chops. Another listener writes, I will take a mom and pop donut over a Dunkin' Donut any day. My go-to donut shop in San Francisco is Bob's Donuts. I'm not sure who owns it, but nothing is better than a glazed donut from them after a night out. That is also so interesting, too. Like, donuts are no longer just a breakfast thing, they're all day now, right, Dorothy? Dorothy?
1: Sorry. Um... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Uh, They they can range, especially now that the second generation are um, getting really creative with the different type of toppings from cookies to candy, as we mentioned. Um, It's it's almost become an elevated, decadent dessert almost or it can be, you know, so it's not just your simple, basic glazed and chocolate anymore. You've got cool creations. You've got things that almost present themselves like a dessert.
2: And you see that too, right? At California donut that people are coming at night, Danette.
5: Yes. Our, our longest line is at night. I think they just have a lot more time to hang out and, and wait in line for their dessert after their dinner. Um, you know, and I think for us, we've been able to brand it. So, you know, coming home with a, a branded box, I think is, uh, very special to them too.
2: So, Kathy, I'm curious about the people, the, the donut kids who struggled to make the family business work. And what were some of the challenges they faced in doing it or some of the realities that this generation wasn't willing to do the way their parents did?
3: Sure. Yeah. You know, coming into any story, you're not quite sure um, who you're going to meet and what you're going to find out. But yes, um, you know, for every Danette and um, her sister, there were also um, those who had a harder time. And I think that COVID um, and given how during the early days of the pandemic, um, you know, like the, the age group of many of the donut shop owners was in the high risk range. So I guess many decisions had to be made at that time too. So I talked to, let's see, um, a gal named Linda who ran a donut shop in in Pasadena. And um, it was she and her two siblings were running the shop for several years with their fathers overseeing it. Um, But then um, with the pandemic and then his health issues and then her having to manage online school, it really was too much and they had to let that shop go. Um, and another person I spoke to who calls herself the Donut Princess, uh, maybe how she's an amazing character, but she is, I believe, the niece of the Donut King. Um, she and her mom uh, joined forces for a good, you know, solid eight or 78 years and really made their shop in Santa Monica DKs a tremendous success. Um, but when her mom was ready to hang up the apron, you um, Took her, the donut princess by surprise, but um, understanding that she knew how to market this donut kid, but didn't quite know the nuts and bolts of the business well enough to do without her mom, um, they sold it as well. And uh, they passed it on to another Cambodian family, which I was actually surprised to learn that, I mean, um, there are still more Cambodian immigrants and Cambodian families here in Southern California who are entering the donut trade right now.
2: Mm. But I was also struck by people who told you that they wanted to attend their kids' school events and spend weekends with them and and that they wanted to prioritize work-life balance. That does also feel like a second-generation sort of priority. Yeah,
3: I, I I loved hearing that deeply, <laughs> just, just as a, an elder millennial and just um, understanding the work ethic that all of these donut kids are inheriting and have internalized. But yeah, it was really um, heartening to hear stories of donut kids who are taking the very best of what their parents laid the foundation for, but then also uh, making time to make it sustainable so they don't burn out Um And that's been, uh, you know, 24 hours. And I know California Donuts is still 24 hours, but many uh, shops that were 24 hours have reduced their hours and our kids are taking days off. Um, and it, it really is in terms of looking at the future of Cambodian-owned donut shops, it does seem like that, that these tiny tweaks are going to make significant changes in the um, the longevity of this business model.
2: Yeah. Well, we're coming up on a break, but I would love to hear afterwards how Danette and Dorothy have managed that work-life balance. We're talking with Donut kids the second generation of Cambodians who are taking over the donut shops that their parents opened and you can share your conversation you can tell us your favorite donut shop or even maybe a new flavor that you have come to love or if this is an experience you've had that you are trying to continue uh, a family business legacy um, as well as 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 an immigrant as the child of immigrants you can tell us by calling 866-733-6786 emailing Forum at kqed.org or posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Stay with us.
4: This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED
0: Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about... Immigrant children taking over their families' businesses or the children of immigrants taking over their families' businesses. Danette Kutch is with us, co-owner and operator of California Donuts, which is located in Los Angeles' Koreatown. Danette's also the creator of the famed Snickers Donut. Dorothy Chow is vice president of b Bakery Distributors in Oakland, California, also the creator of the Death in Cambodia podcast, which chronicles her father's journey to America. Kathy Chaplin is with a senior editor, uh, senior reporter and editor At Eater LA. Her piece is The Future of LA's Cambodian Owned Donut Shops is in the Hands of the Next Generation. (laughs) You, our listeners, are shouting out Donut Shops. Another shout out from Dream Fluff on Ashby and College in Elmwood. Growing up in Berkeley in the 70s, we went regularly in the late 80s and early 90s. Every day I would get a sandwich made with two unfilled glazed donuts. With pastrami, Swiss eggs, and a chocolate milk, best heart stopper ever. Miss those. And another Berkeley one. Terence writes every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Night on the streets. Catholic worker feeds the homeless breakfast in front of the Veterans Building in downtown Berkeley. One volunteer picks up a box of day-old donuts from this bakery at 7 a.m. There is a great gift. This is a great gift to these people in need. They get to choose the donut they want, something the less fortunate do not get in their lives. This past Sunday, the Bishop of Oakland, Michael Barber, got the privilege to distribute those donuts to those waiting in line to get their free breakfast, thanks to the generosity of this bakery. And another listener writes, I don't know the history, but Vio's handcrafted pastries in Vacaville. They also have a food trailer that travels around the bay. It's my favorite new place, lots of Filipino flavor twists and chubby churros. And this listener wants to know, I'm curious about the economics of running a donut business in California. Even now, you can buy a dozen donuts, make that 13, of course, from a mom and pop shop for relatively little money. With high rents in the state and so many other business expenses, how hard is it to turn a profit each month? Uh, Danette, I'll start with you on that one in terms of the economics of running a business. How hard is it to turn a profit each month, given that donuts, or people expect donuts to be relatively inexpensive?
5: Um, well, I know the cost has gone up a lot, so we've just had to raise our prices, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the financial part of the business. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 know I can sell, I know I can sell and I, and I try to produce product that is going to sell the customers want it and are going to come back for it. So kind of just getting them addicted. I think that's where my specialty is. Um, The background stuff, you know, it's a little bit um, on someone else.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Dorothy, do you have any insights on this? Oh,
1: yes. Um, It's been very, very tough. Very tough for all the donut shop owners in the past, I would say year, year and a half. Um, Flour, ingredients, fillings, boxes paper goods napkins everything has gone probably triple in the fastest for us as a distributor we've been around for over 35 years with my father starting this we had never seen anything at the rate of price increases that we've seen in the past six to eight months and it's been tough you know I'd I'd encourage everybody I know donuts are meant to be this um, kind of Economical breakfast item, but it really has been hard for all of the donut donut the entire donut industry because of um, inflation, import export, supply chain mess. Um, it's it's insane, and I do empathize with the owners on that, especially in the past year.
2: Mm. You know, before the break, we were talking about work life balance and some of the types of changes that. The second generation is trying to bring to the kind of demands that were on, you know, immigrant parents, refugee parents, as they were trying to make their businesses stay afloat and create better lives for kids. I am curious, Dorothy, how much did you see your your dad as he was opening up these these shops all over the place, running his distribution company?
1: (sighs) Um, I probably grew up seeing my dad maybe once a week Hmm. at most. Um, And sometimes he was gone for up to maybe one to two months at a time because he had to be international. Um, you know, as, as a donut distributor, uh, that, that includes anything from the flour to shortening to the napkins, to the boxes. And a lot of that, some of them can be, you know, traded from overseas, which allows a lot of international work for him. Um, and at the time he was actually trying to, at one point he owned all of California. Uh, we had a, a uh, distributor in Southern California called Golden Bake, and so in general, the entire the entire time that I was growing up, I really didn't. I felt like I was kind of raised by an only mother. <laughs> um, didn't yeah. didn't get to see my dad a whole lot, and uh, yeah, that that also caused a little bit of resentment too. I would say, and it wasn't until I got older until I really kind of uh, understood what he was doing.
2: Yeah, Danette, you have talked about how your parents never took you to Disneyland, for example. Um, do you worry about the kind of demands that running, running a 24-7 donut shop or multiple 24-7 donut shops can place on you? Like, are you worried about replicating that, your, that, that kind of inability, I guess, to be able to, to do and enjoy fun things with, with kids, with your kids?
5: Um, I think my parents have um, created it in a way. Now we have more people, more, more people that we can rely on. Um, Before it was just family working in the, in the shop. But since we've grown, we've um, brought in a lot of people and we make them, we, we create them as, as family. So we're all a big unit, you know, we need them and they need us and um, just having people that you trust to take your place when you need to. So I've been able to be present in my um, girls' lives, you know, going through school and their activities. Um, You know, I've, I've been able to do everything that I kind of wanted as a child growing up, you know, I didn't understand it before I get it now. Um, So it's, you know, it's, definitely putting people in place in order for you to have a little bit more freedom and, and what my parents wanted for me to have a better life. I definitely do. Um, and I'm not going to take it for granted.
2: Well, this listener writes, are there donuts that have not succeeded? I tried a mochi, a mochi donut and it was well, chewy and kind of greasy (laughs) curious about flavors that didn't make it to the shop case. Uh, what are your failed flavors, Danette?
5: Um, that mochi and, um, yeah, mochi is definitely not supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be eaten right away if it is, but we just didn't even try to do that. Um, we wanted to keep to what we know and what we're special, um, and what people know us about for. So we kept to those, you know, I would try random flavors here and there. And sometimes it, you know, it, it some would fail and, and I would just not make it again. Um, but everybody is so visual. So it's got to be, you know, Instagrammable and um, people need to be able to take photos of it. So, you know, the look is definitely got to match the flavor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this is writes: Is there a Cambodian style donut that these shops Serve uh, well, let me go to you, Danette, again, but I'll also ask Dorothy this question Is there Danette? What, what does that mean? What do you mean? A Cambodian style donut, I guess, something that Cambodian. is inspired by Cambodian uh, food.
5: Um, we well, not a donut, but we used to make like a chicken curry croissant, which was uh kind of our culture, um, inside of a
2: croissant, but not not a donut yet. Yeah, How, Dorothy, do you, do you see shops doing that or something along those lines? From from
1: my understanding, the donut is very very much an American breakfast staple. You you won't find a Cambodian donut. It's not something that traditionally and culturally that's what we have in our breakfast. Um it's something that you know, the refugees came here and, and had to pick up something and, and that's what they fell into. But no, that I, I don't believe there is a Cambodian style donut.
2: <laughs> Do you eat a lot of donuts, Dorothy?
1: <laughs> I am very picky. I don't eat a lot of donuts. And so because, you know, I'm sure as with the rest of the donut kids, uh, because you grew up with it and you know what's a good donut, I only eat it when it comes right off the fryer and... Um, you know, that it's not too oily, and I put my own toppings, and I maybe only eat half of it. And <laughs> I'm very, very particular.
2: Thinking earlier about that listener's comment about tight bottom lines, how do these mom and pops compete with big chains like Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme, Dorothy?
1: It's actually um, a lot easier on that competitive side than you think because a lot of these big competitors do not make it fresh. A lot of the times they are frozen and they're made somewhere by machine and they're shipped out to the different franchise locations. Whereas in California, you have this Cambodian owned donut culture that. You have somebody in the back making it fresh every single day from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. If not, I'm sure Danette, since it's 24 hour, you've got people, different bakers rotating throughout the day. And so there is a huge difference when you bite into a Krispy Kreme versus a Cambodian owned donut shop. It's fluffier. It's generally bigger. It's it's also generally not as sweet. Um, you you can't compete. You can't compare.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I, I imagine that discerning uh, customers, California has, has discerning customers that can taste those differences that you're describing. Michael tweets, I have seen from mom and pop restaurants that the kids use the tremendous work ethic needed to succeed running a small business to also excel in corporate life. Dennett, you resisted, quote, corporatizing the business. Can you talk a little bit about how you realized that wasn't the right
4: path?
5: Um, well, that's, that's what I studied. Uh, majority of my university was, uh, or my education in the university was on corporate America. So I only had maybe one class at the end of uh, college that told me about what I was going to, um, what was going to happen in the family business. Um, so when I came out of it and I joined the business, I thought, you know, creating this, um, facade of like, we're a corporation versus a family business was what was good for us. Um, and so, you know, we had the the branding and the labels we hid behind our social media. We never like showed a face and, and everything we worked and like on the outside looked like it was corporation. But then recently, I think, I mean, in, in Los Angeles, especially everyone loves to know, you know, who they're supporting and, um, that there's a family behind it. So, you know, we're, we're kind of coming out of our shell and, and introducing ourselves and just kind of putting ourselves out there that, you know, we are a very hardworking family and second generation. So the, the tradition from 40 years ago is still going on, you know, to this day, we've kept the same ingredients and recipes, you know, so that has been, uh, very successful for us in the last couple of years.
2: We're talking with donut kids, a second generation of Cambodians who are taking over the donut shops that their parents opened. And you're listening to forum. I am a Kim. Let me go to call her Malika and Vallejo. Hi Malika. Hi. Hi. I um
6: just wanted to first thank you for doing this story. It's sort of amazing that Cambodian uh you know, this sort of second generation Cambodian is being covered in a light that has nothing to do with genocide. So I think that's
2: amazing. Oh, thanks for saying that. Um, So what's on your mind?
6: Um, So I wanted to share my story a little bit. I'm not a Donut King child or a donut store child. I had um, uh, a lot of family and friends who owned donut shops. My parents owned a convenience store that was also a liquor store. And so we had really long hours similar to the donut shops. And, um, my parents ended up retiring, and my siblings and I, um, you know, we hit that intersection where we needed to decide if we were going to continue the what my parents had done with the store or move on with our own careers, and we decided to move on with our own careers. Uh, my parents preferred that, just sort of like the guests were saying, They 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 saw owning a business and kind and putting in those really long hours and um, kind of going into a business that uh, didn't carry a lot of prestige in American society as like a a sacrifice and a means to an end in where their, their children would end up in better jobs and better paying jobs or, you know, jobs with um, better status and, and pay. And so that's, you know, kind of what we did, because that was the goal from the beginning, was that it was really a means to an end, and there was really no pressure for us to continue the store legacy.
4: Yeah.
6: Um, but I could also, I just wanted to say, I could totally relate to childhood spent in a store, We <laughs> go there after school, and... It's, you know, not even on the table to join an after-school club or go to some kind of summer camp away. It was, you know, an unspoken duty that you go to the store and you stand at the cash register and you help your parents out and you eat dinner at the store and you spend Christmases at the store. Um, So, you know, in a way, I'm in my 40s now and I look back and there was a period where I was resentful about having a childhood robbed, but, um, I can, you know, appreciate the work ethic that it instilled in me and, and all of those things too. So it was, um, it's a bit of a double-edged sword and, you know, in having that kind of experience as a kid. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to comment on was the, um, someone asked about the economics of a donut shop. And even though my family didn't own a donut shop, as a kid and even into, you know, my adult years, I saw so many Cambodian families achieve these, this American dream where they were able to purchase a home and multiple homes, multiple properties, get into real estate development and um, not only pull themselves out of poverty, but, you know, it's like set up a, a financial, you know, foothold for many generations to come. Um, yeah. Through, by way of this one donut shop that they started so um it's i wouldn't say it's lucrative but if it, the, the profit margin is pretty good with with donuts even though you see a donut that's sold for like a dollar 50 the the cost that goes into it to that is um relatively low consider you know as a, when you compare it to um other industries but the markup is pretty decent but you know ultimately if you're good with money and you you save and um you know you live below your means just sort of like any any industry then you know you can um make it work and and achieve what you want to do what you want So, um, malika thank you that was my take or my like experience growing up around donut shop owners and then being a kid of a um, family store.
2: Well, thanks so much for sharing that experience. You've been like a mini guest um, for us today. I really appreciate it. So just one last question. And I guess for you, Kathy, as you reported on this, we've talked a lot and you reported a lot on how the second generation of donut shop owners changed the donut scene in Southern California, I'm really curious how the, the SoCal donut scene has in, in, changed the Cambodian community in some ways in terms of prospects and moving forward. And we just have 30 seconds.
3: Mm-mm. I think the thought that came to mind as you asked that question is that um, just this uh, this new sense of identity and this pride um, that comes from this incredible legacy of donut shops has really shined a very positive light on this line of work. And I think that's um, an incredible benefit of, um, I guess, drawing attention to these businesses and celebrating their contributions to American life and culture.
2: Well, Kathy, thank you so much for inspiring this segment. Kathy Chaplin, Dorothy Chow, and Danette Kutch, really appreciate hearing your experiences. Thanks to Grace Wan for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members
0: of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity
4: Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.